Hello and welcome to the Sports Law Podcast, where we talk about the intersection of sports media and technology. Today, we're going to have a fantastic conversation about building an athlete brand, and we've got some fantastic folks on board to have that conversation. But first, if you like what you hear, please remember to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Go to our website, sportsloft.co, and subscribe to our newsletter. And do make sure to follow us on socials at sportsloft.hq. So before we get into the actual conversation uh, and, and setting it out, I'd like to introduce our guests. And this is truly an all-star panel uh, and uh, very excited to have everybody on board. Purely in order of who is on my screen uh, from, uh, from top to bottom uh, and in no order of, uh, of importance, I'd like to welcome, first of all, Ant Ganju to the uh, podcast. Ant is co-founder of Move AI, the markerless motion capture platform that uses AI in order to generate uh, biomechanics and capture human motion data. The reality is that Ant has done a million uh, different things in the sports uh, and technology space. Uh, and is uniquely placed to have this conversation. So, Ant, welcome back to the Sports Stuff Podcast. Thanks, Yanni. It's a pleasure to be here. Really appreciate you inviting me on. Thank you. Next guest is uh, the fantastic Daniel Kirshner. Daniel is uh, president and CEO at uh, Greenfly, which is the platform for capturing, organizing, and sharing short-form content uh, from uh, rights holders around athletes and all sorts of other stakeholders. Clients include basically everyone in North American sports, uh, major football teams in Europe, uh, and an ever-expanding roster of partners and uh, clients. So Daniel, we look forward to having you on board to talk about uh, how that content can help build an athlete brand, and welcome back to the Sports Life Podcast. Thank you, Yanni. Excited to be here. I'm looking forward to that conversation. And last, but very, very definitely not least, dialing in from, I, I see the Olympic rings over your shoulder, Simon. I met an office of a friend uh, here in the heart of White City. And for those in the know, uh, this was the site, the former site of an old Olympic. Um, the first ever London Olympics, I think, was, was, was based here. So that is there. I see a, I see a 1908, yes. There you go. That's a, that's a trivia question answer. <laughs> Yeah, I would bring in a bit of sports history to this part. I don't know if it's a history part. <laughs> so Simon is the managing director and founder of Kin Partners, one of the, uh, which is one of the leading talent and creative IP companies in sport and entertainment. Um, Simon obviously famously has played a, a huge part in building um, David Beckham's brand. Uh, and he's doing the same again over at, uh, over at Kin with an athlete roster, which includes um, such, such stars as, as Neymar heard of him, uh, Man City's Ilkay Gundogan, uh, as well as working with rights holders like Real Madrid, Roland Garros, and, and, and a whole host of others and doing fantastic work there. So, Simon, welcome back to the Sports Life Podcast. Great to be on. So, we're going to be talking about how athletes build their own brands um, and uh, how, that, uh, how that journey kind of unfolds. Uh, and Simon, we'll turn, we'll turn to, you, to you first because, you know, as we mentioned, you played a big role in building David Beckham's brand, and that's obviously one of the iconic uh, pieces of work, if you will, in, in building an athlete's brand. Um, but how has that brand building evolved um, over recent years? Uh, and, and how is it changing uh, with the advent in of, of technology? That's a big question. It's almost a show in itself. Um, I mean, we won't go back over time, but it, it's, it's had many evolutions. I felt when I first started out with David, um, and the likes of Lewis Hamilton and, and Andy, a lot of it was protection. 
invariably this was before social media. So much of the discussions we were having were built around, we had to go through the prism of, or, or through the channel of a third party, right? Which would either be traditional media, whether that's TV, radio, um, newspapers, etc., and and everything that we did had our antennae had to you know had to create and curate something that would work and fit into that into that media bubble. And obviously, as time has evolved, um, and look, I I started very early on with Simon Fuller, right? So you know, we he very early on saw. Obviously, I worked very closely with him, and the Spice Girls at the time, obviously, were one of the first sort of what you would call brands in the world of music right and 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 obviously he created american idol and so forth so everything the way we looked at talent was how do you um how do you build ip that's gonna that's not that's gonna resonate over a period of time and how do you own that ip going forward um so we saw very early on how this was changing before social media and then social media obviously gave us the control that we needed and, and the control of the raise that we needed and and now you know in a nutshell i suppose the key thing is ownership for a lot of these guys, whether you're LeBron, David, or whoever it might be, is ownership of, of an equity plays in, in, in your world, whether that's a production company, whether that's, you know, through content or whether that's uh, the commercial uh, that you do. Purpose is key. So the consumer, the public like to see that you've got, um, that what you're doing is authentic to the brand, but has purpose, has a reason for being. Um, and that could be philanthropic or it could be, you know, it could be that you're just a great gamer, right? Um, uh, and what you're starting to see and what we saw over that period of time is you still have the elite um, athletes and those that are renowned for, for, for time, but then you have the democratization of talent. So, um, so uh, you see the creators and we'll come onto it. Now those creators have become curators as well, right? Which is the world mm. of uh, Daniel Lennant in that sense, you know? And so, um, yeah, it's changed. It's probably been the biggest change ever. I would say, I think the last 10 years have probably seen the biggest changes in the world of, of, of talent and brands involved in that world than there's probably been in a century before. Hmm. Well, Simon, would you say that the last two years have kind of changed more than the previous eight? Like how pronounced? It in the I, I don't, uh, we'll come on to this. I think probably Yanni's going to talk about the metaverse, uh, the, the metaverse. I don't think that's a factor at the moment. I mean, somebody came up with a fact that said, I didn't know this, but only 5 million, 5 million people are really engaged in, in, in the metaverse at the moment, 5 million, right? So this idea that it's a factor at the moment is not true, right? We all know this on this call, but um, what I'm fascinated by in the future is, is the digital self and how celebrities and talent will evolve their digital selves in the world, whether it's the multiverse or outside of it, and the ability to to, cre to create those worlds um, for their followers and so, but that's a, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. I, I would say yes, the last certainly, last certainly three or four years, you've seen a dramatic change. You know, someone like KSI can have a as big a following as as Erling Haaland, right? You know, and you, you could you can argue to the merits and the qualities of their talent, right? Um, but it has changed. And what's, what's really interesting, I guess, and we will obviously touch, um, touch on the metaverse in this conversation and kind of where it's going in terms of the creation of those, um, the, the creation of a brand for an individual, let's call it an individual, whether it's an athlete or an actor or a creator, it doesn't really matter. The same principles apply, right? What's really interesting is that over the last few years, like you say, that journey 
has started to be imposed on uh, on people in the public eye because they have to be able to curate their public image um, and be able to manage it on social media and be able to you know pr- project on their own channels what used to be far easier to curate easier you know uh, um, uh, in quotation marks easier to to curate when you were delivering finished pieces of content to to outlets right and so. In that context, Daniel, you know, you, your entire business is prefaced on being able to provide access to the content that is relevant to the athlete in order to be able to share and disseminate it. How important do you see the value of authenticity and, and natural uh, posting and talking? And, you know, we can, we can get into the John Morant conversation, for example, and what happened with him uh, over the last couple of, uh, couple of, couple of weeks, which is, which is far from ideal versus sort of, um, doing that brand building exercise and making sure that everything is aligned and driving towards the same purpose. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really, um, interesting and tricky balance. I think authenticity is, is critical. You know, I think it's critical to be an effective, I mean, you think about, you know, brand building and marketing and athletes, you know, there has to be a connection between what they're saying and an understanding that it's authentic and, and, and plausible and real and not a money grab or, or something that's sort of outside the, the natural, you know, personality. It's really critical. What, you know, when I think about the last few years, we're talking about uh, the metaverse. I mean, Oculus is twice as old as TikTok. It's hard to argue that, you know, like where, where's the impact, right? Mm. Um, and where's the usage? There's been a, a movement, I would say, towards more authenticity in content, but also more creativity around that content. So, you know, when you think about that, that, okay, so we get closer and closer to behind the scenes, we're moving away from that kind of Instagram feed of these glossy curated, we want to see, you know, stories, we want to see the authentic content. That was kind of the first wave several years ago. And the kind of raw or the better, the more of a peek into somebody's life. What's really interesting is presenting that kind of intimacy and authenticity with creativity. And I think TikTok is just an incredible example of that, where you see just so much creativity in how content is actually being produced. It's authentic, it's direct, it's self-created, but it, it also has to be compelling and interesting. And, and, and so there's a, a really interesting balance between authenticity and, and creativity. It's hard to say that authenticity is not, you know, kind of the most important currency in, in some ways, right? It's really what makes somebody compelling. Mm. Uh, I, I think when you look at an athlete who's really successful you know, on the pitch or the court or whatever it is, in order for them to be really compelling outside of that, there needs to be a connection with their personality and it needs to be authentic. At the same time, I, I think there's a lot of thought going into that presentation and a lot of sophistication as well. So hmm. it's not just, you know, spouting off, but, but really thinking about it too. Simon, in order to build that, that brand and really connect it in the right way, how, how do you advise your clients? How do you speak to those, to those athletes to say, listen, you, 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 you should be having a direct conversation. You should be presenting yourself as you are because that is ultimately going to build the most authentic brand and build the greatest value but keep the following you know the, the following guidelines or guardrails in mind in terms of how you should do so is there is it is it a, is it a different playbook for everybody depending on who they are how do you how do you approach that yeah absolutely there is a each individual is very different and if you start to create a blueprint which you work as one single piece for all, it doesn't work, right? So um, you have to analyze the individual, their natural instincts 
to be more open. Some people aren't. Um, what you're trying to say to these kids at a very early age is, right, what do you want? If you just want to play football um, and be the best that you can be on that, that's, first of all, that should be everything. That should be your entire, or, or the sport that you're going to play. But secondly, if you do want to build a brand that has longevity, you've got to remember these, these kids end up, or men, they become men and they end their careers at 35, 36, 37, most sports people not golfers of course and, and some sports but some of these guys so what does your career look like before that and don't wait until you're 30 to start to build that to build that brand right so you start to if you really want to have a second life let's call it that and a second profession then you've got to start to to put the foundations now for that going forward and i will be honest right i think when we first started out when there was no social media i was much more you were much more concerned about the output and, and how you would manage that because it would go into the washing machine of the media and then be spun out very differently. Hmm. So you were much more concerned as to how you do it. I think what, what the public look for now is, is as, as Daniel said, is authenticity and they don't mind if you slip up, if you make a mistake or if you say the wrong thing that you shouldn't necessarily. Of course, there are certain things that are no-nos, right? And we hmm. don't need to get into those that will certainly transform the opinion of the public but you know if if you said you know a, a rude word or you or you've done something which you know is a bit silly you know don't worry too much about that because people want to see you know why do we have sadly in some respects why let's not get political but why do we have these perceived authentic people in the levers of, of government at the moment or have been like trump and others and boris johnson now a lot of that is a part that they're playing, but there's a perceived authenticity there for all their faults and everything else. And the public or certain members of the public have bought into that. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you know, uh, Jack Grealish should become Donald Trump in any sense, but pe people want, don't want to see the hair, hair aside, of course. Yeah, hair aside. Right? People don't want to see the manufactured, um, you know, too overly polished individual anymore. Right. I think mm. that's gone out the window. Um, frequency is important if you're going to become serious at it right if you become serious in this world frequency of output is important whether you're leading it or whether it's curated highlights or stuff that you know and the guys on this call will know that uh, as well so that frequency is important but if you don't want to engage with it then don't engage with it don't do mm. it I'd rather you didn't engage with social media and we looked at other passions of yours um, than doing that but it, it would be a mistake to not have to build your following Hmm. Simon, do you not think that there are kind of types of celebrities which definitely fall outside of sport where being kind of too polished or polished to a level where it's aspirational for their fans is, is, is kind of something that they've built careers around? I mean, you look at the Kardashians and the entire image that they're projecting is almost kind of being at that level where it's so polished, everything's perfect. Um, I don't know whether there's a difference between actually... Um, talent representation in, in entertainment and sport and you know even kind of I guess we talk about the Kardashians in 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 fashion in a way but um, there's no doubt that that, 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 that all the authenticity is is kind of a key factor here I definitely think there are certain um, celebrities that that be very well out of cultivating a almost unattainable polished, perception from their communities and i guess that's one of the reasons why brands want, want to work with them as well and i was, I was going to ask ask the floor a question because the authenticity thing i think is 
it's a fascinating question and particularly where you're now starting to get you know scalable tools that allow you to you know de-age a person you know animate them there's the whole deep fake thing which is obviously you know incredibly kind of concerning but that that core technology opens up endless amounts of opportunities you know if you're just is something inauthentic if you've got a talent who's doing a global campaign for a brand and you're using ai as an example to kind of uh animate the way in which they're speaking in a hundred different languages to make even with their voice synthesized in all those different languages is that inauthentic or is like that is that line of authenticity blurring uh, and how do you kind of stay on top of that line of authenticity there's probably 50 different questions in there it's just fascinating i i love it yeah look, we we did something five years ago i don't know if you saw with david and malaria no more where he did this what's called a public service and as a psa um and it was built around um i think it's five or four years ago but it was built around um the idea that it was a deep fake of david but his mouth would talk through the message in multiple languages you know, very quickly, nothing would change. It would be him and we filmed him and then it would, it would zip through. And this was early on. And that felt like something creative and not really offensive or troubling. I think if you're honest and upfront with the individual and the public, that this is a deep fake and this is, this is obvious, then that's fine. I think when, when you start to fool the public, I think then you have an issue or you're not in control of it and it becomes something that's used to harm a political campaign or to you know, I think that's when it's really problematic. I don't think the public are open to innovation and creativity. What they don't want to be seen to be done is is, is the wall pulled over your eyes, right? Yeah, the hoodwinked effect. I think your point about about consistency is a really good one there, right? In that, you know, if if, if somebody's consistently doing that, then the public is probably going to start getting to a point where there's a lack of trust and therefore part of that person's brand is a lack of trust from you know from from the audience in in terms of what they're saying if you've built up that trust if you've gotten to a point where you have the the you've you've been consistent you've been authentic and then you can manage to 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 do something like that whether it's through ai or, or new technology or present yourself in a different way then I think once you you have that bank to play with uh, and you can carry on, specifically with David, for example, you know, the uh, Qatar representation uh, question around the World Cup was a really relevant one, right? You know, given given how much work he's done on a variety of different charities that are potentially problematic for that. You know, he certainly didn't escape unscathed, but had he not built up the reputation that he has built up over all those years, any shall we call it a lesser human or a lesser, you know, lesser uh, person may have may have taken a much bigger hit. So, you know, I think that consistency is, is a very is a very important point. Just obviously a point. I, I've not worked with David since 2019 um, in terms of day to day. But um, you're right to say in terms of a celebrity, um, we would say in England, you walk the talk, right? So you have to be able if you if you do. I think you see with Boris Johnson at the moment um, in the UK, right, and around the parties, um, the COVID parties, right? What people do not mind if you have an opinion necessarily contrary to theirs or that you believe mm. in something that they don't necessarily believe in. But if you're true to your being and your word, okay, they'll they'll respect you for it. I think the issue, the challenge sometimes is if you're seen to be a hypocrite, you know, and um Someone like Boris Johnson, for example, he's probably lost a lot of sways of the public because, you know, you set the rules, you've got to abide by them. But it goes back to authenticity. Um, and um, the public don't mind mistakes, but they don't particularly like um, 
been told one thing and then uh, that individual does something else, you know, that's the issue. Yeah, I think people, you know, when you think about authenticity, I think I wouldn't confuse like people like creative tools. So creative tools on presentation, whether that's filters, like how things are being filmed, like all different styles. But the question is, does that capture in some way convey an like an authentic personality and viewpoint? And I think that's where like, you know, the kind of stuff that Simon's talking about with the, the, the hypocrisy where there's like an expression of a viewpoint and then somebody behaving contrary to that is really is really damaging to to that that kind of public trust but using you know creative tool sets to present things in fun and creative ways especially if you're kind of upfront or or or, or cheeky about it then you know i think people you know people really appreciate that and as i said there's we see a lot more and one thing that's interesting with the athletes i mean you know with with greenfly we obviously make a lot of content really readily accessible for the athletes to use or at least the the our partners do the leagues and teams and they use it and they love it but one of the things we see a lot more of is rather than just taking that and posting that adding a personal spin to it you know even athletes themselves like creating a tiktok out of most multiple pieces of content or adding some stickers or, or doing things that are you know altering it using those building blocks but still like layering in um you know something that does that expresses their personality and and again people love those creative tools they love to see that if you, i mean it's amazing how how stylish in many ways some of the stuff is, even if it feels unpolished on on these social channels, but how, how creative it is. But as long, but it has to be connected with a sense that there's a real coherent personality there that's that 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 people are communicating that is that is true to who the person is, and not something that's that's you know authentic. And this is this is complicated enough in the real world, uh, let, let alone let alone starting to move into you know. Dig, digital IP and image rights and 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 the metaverse and you know stuff like that. I I, I have to, I have to admit to have been have, having been slightly floored because in the briefing notes that the guys send round before we do this podcast, you know they they, they had some examples of um, uh, digital IP and and uh, and image rights and they mentioned the NFL and Roblox planning the first ever Super Bowl concert in the metaverse and uh, Neymar's skin arriving w- within Call of Duty, which is a, which is a fascinating project that, uh, you know, we'd love to hear a little bit more, more about as well, Simon. But the, the, the one thing that I hadn't really processed, I'd sort of heard about it, but not processed was, was that there are virtual influencers, you know, I- influencers who do, aren't actual people, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're uh, avatars, they're animated. They, they, uh, they, and, and they've become, um, uh, they've become extremely successful and, and, and powerful. And, that that sort of leads all sorts of uh, leads to all sorts of, of questions, and you know, and you guys are knee deep in uh, in technology that is going to have huge applications across a variety of different tools, but but especially in the metaverse, uh, if and when it starts going, how do you guys view this whole world and kind of what athletes can can and will be able to use it for and benefit from? Yeah, I mean, I think. Um... So what's interesting is there are virtual influencers who are powered by and linked to a human or an individual, um, whether that person is well known as the, you know, the author of that character or not. And there are virtual influencers and virtual celebrities that are completely synthetic or are created by a team of individuals um, and AI or any other tools. Uh, so interesting question to say is, you know, in 50 years time, is the most famous person in the world going to be an alive person? Um, because, you know, who knows how advanced technology is going to be and whether, 
um, we're going to be able to create optimal, perfect, engineered influences around communities that aren't linked to someone in real life? And that's a fascinating question. I mean, just coming back to what you said before, Yanni, I mean, I am not an advocate of we're all going to be living in the metaverse in 20 years time. I think if anything, the metaverse is a term has just got a huge amount of hot air driven by a lot of the stuff that Facebook decided to do and huge amount of people jumped on the bandwagon. I think it's the very abstract term that doesn't really have real longevity. I think the much more interesting thing, which is what Simon referred to is, is, is digital life and digital lives. And, you know, what that means in the context of, of gaming, of game engine technology, of immersive experiences, of digital experiences, uh, whether that's AR, VR, mixed reality, or video gaming, all of the above. I mean, that's where I think the the, the opportunity to kind of be strategic about t- talent representing themselves and what are the opportunities for their digital selves is absolutely fascinating. And, you know, again, there's a question mark as to... Uh, will an artist make a huge amount more money? Will a celebrity make a huge amount more money, um, you know, even when they're no longer on the planet? Because you can effectively start to monetize every stage of their life based on de-aging. And, you know, will, will, will there be scenarios where um, David Beckham's 20s and the way he looked and the way he came across in his 20s remains as powerful commercially as, as, as who he is now and like that whole ability to kind of embrace technology for I think talent and talent representation to extend the opportunities of what commercial applications there are in these digital kind of realms particularly with video gaming which is I mean I don't know whether you guys were um, exposed to what was announced yesterday but the whole idea that you can now use Unreal Engine to create any experience you can imagine in Fortnite is a transformative moment because you know you've got 70 million people a month playing Fortnite, which is still relatively small but you know it's it's a way in which you can reach an entirely new audience incredibly easy easily at you know really high fidelity um and i'm sure simon i'm sure you, you with 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 your roster of talent will look to opportunities like that and i think that's just such a fascinating space and how it's evolving and it, it must be a key consideration of the commercial strategy and the marketing mix moving forwards for any talent you represent. You couldn't agree more. You know, when we put Neymar, we did two things. We put Neymar into Fortnite. So he was the first ever sportsman with a skin in Fortnite. And then it was Call of Duty. Now that felt like an, an evolution of the gaming experience, right? On the cover of FIFA, on the cover of X, and then that next stage. But the next evolution of that is is what we were just talking about, right? Which is which is the idea of I can go and live in this world of I can live I can go back into the nineties and play, you know, Arsenal against Manchester United and I can be David Beckham or I can be let's bring Arsenal into this. Uh and I can be Patrick Vieira or I can be Thierry Henry, right? And I can and I can live and play these moments, you know. Um but that feels to me like the next evolution. Um I was just going to say, I come out of the video game industry. So, I mean, like all these things, and even with the metaverse, it's like we've been living, living in the metaverse for years and it's a bunch of hot air in terms of how it's described. But we're already playing, we're already behaving as these athletes. So yes. We've been playing FIFA for years. Yeah. Even when I was, you know, a kid in the 90s, we were, I was playing, you know, NHL and Lakers versus Celtics and, and pretending to be all these athletes. And and what happens, it's like one of these things where it just it just keeps iterating that if you showed what you know FIFA looks like today or Madden or any of these games to to me when I was a kid, I would be like, we're already there. 
we got photorealistic, you know, movements, obviously all the capture and, and how effective that is. We're already able to act those things out and experience them in incredibly sophisticated environments where that personality has, you know, that, that, that personality has already been represented in a form captured in a moment in time, you know, and, and it's not just them and how they look, but it's the personality, it's the celebrations, it's the movements. Like you're, it, you're capturing so much of the kind of IP of the person. So in many ways, you know, we're already, we're already living in that world and then, and it will just keep getting incrementally more sophisticated. Uh, but that kind of value, that kind of IP value of the person already exists and athletes have been paid, you know, my co-founder, um, you know, he, he retired a long time ago and he was, he was paid already for that when, you know, the video games came out when he was playing baseball and his representation was there, he was already getting a payment for that and already effectively monetizing that, that digital presence. So I, I think we'll just keep seeing, um, keep seeing that sophistication. What I think is really interesting about sports. I mean, this whole virtual influencer is, is such an interesting idea. And I, I totally believe in it on the same time, who cares about a virtual athlete that can do tremendous feats. The whole per point of sports is what a physical athlete can do. You can build a pitching machine that can throw 150 miles an hour, but you're not going to, I mean, you're not going to replace a pitcher with that. It doesn't make any sense. The whole point about sports is to be connected with the human body. In fact, we actually prohibit substances that we think can alter that or, or, or affect that even what the human body can do. We have a sense of, of fairness and, and constraint based on, you know, actual physical capability. And I think that's one of the things that's so interesting. Dan, Dan, you could do that. Sorry to interrupt you. You could do that in music, right? So you saw the I don't. You saw the ABBA um, uh, virtual show, mm. which is super ABBA successful, show. right? Yeah. Now they had to clearly the the band are fully behind it. They filmed new new content, and certainly some new content. But the public have absolutely embraced that and bought into that. So you're right. I agree. In sport, it feels. It, it feels weird. I think you probably go somewhere and watch a recreation of a virtual recreation of an Ali fight against Joe Frazier, right? If it felt real and um, I, I would certainly go watch it, right? If, if they really got the elements right and you felt like you were there watching it as it was happening. Um, but I certainly wouldn't go and watch, yeah, I wouldn't go and watch... Um, a new virtual character play another virtual I, I don't know. I might, we're different generations in that sense, but, uh, you know. People watch video games and they watch that, but, I mean, there's something about sports that's connected to, right? But even there, the skill in watching video games is the skill of the player. It's the human element that's being connected yes. and expressed. Like, you know, so I'm not saying – people do like to watch, you know, video game at, you know players fight each other, but there you're marveling still at the skill of a human behind that who's actually – Yeah, 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 great. But it, but it is the narrative of the end point of the content. And by that, what I mean is if you look at the two showpiece adverts for the World Cup, Adidas's showpiece creative was Messi playing different generations of Messi, right? Mm. And so you've got multi-generational Messis playing each other. And, and, and that was Adidas's lead advert. So, you know, that suspension of disbelief, I think, to your point, Simon, is acceptable when it's, when it's entertainment led rather than rather yeah. than sports led, I think you're absolutely right. It's super hard with with sports, you know, to kind of create that sense of tangible emotional interaction with something that doesn't have a link to performance, you know, ultimately. And and I mean, it's super interesting about the whole ABBA thing. And you know, I would be absolutely amazed, and I haven't really kind of delved into the detail of it if 
a whole spectrum of endorsement deals didn't fall out of what the 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 rejuvenated ABBA character avatars could promote. And I, I don't think, I can't see a scenario, again, this is a really interesting question, where if you've got these kind of youngest digital cells of the ABBA band, and they as, as characters are being used to promote and endorse various different brands now, you know, are people going to have a problem with that? Does that step the wrong line of authenticity? I mean, these are all super fascinating questions um to debate because like you know again another really interesting question for the floor is we're now in a situation where game engines allow you to create something so photo real that the person never really needs to physically film there so you know does that completely photo real computer generated piece of content even if the actor has never had to do anything other than take some photographs of themselves is that inauthentic or if it looks and feels as real as it was there, is that okay? Is that okay in the mind of the, the, the person watching it, the consumer that the, the brand wants to reach? Is it okay in the mind of the talent that they feel that they need the authenticity in, in their minds means that they need to be a part of physically being there when that's filmed? Because you can definitely see a scenario growing, particularly with the capability of all the game engines now where where talent can do any number of kind of endorsement deals without physically having to go to a studio yeah. to shoot them. Um, and the output quality of content can make it look and feel like the artist has done a week-long shoot in a, in a, in a studio, just such as the fidelity of, of computer graphics now. And so what you're doing essentially is you're sort of multiplying the revenue opportunities for somebody to infinity because you don't physically need to be there and therefore time is no longer a resource. Is that is that... That's that's what you mean. One hundred percent. I mean, does that does that again? Does that step the wrong end of the line for authenticity? Fascinating, not? isn't it? Because you, you it goes it goes back to the it goes back to the point the conversation that we were having earlier about is it, it, it is it something that's consistent? If I think you would probably find that an audience would lose connection with somebody if they're like you know if if it's oversaturated, and one of those uh, one of the things that might lead to oversaturation is if somebody is physically not in any way actually physically there and connected to the message that they're delivering. But I can see the appeal, right? Simon, you've been dipping your toe in this like the whole time looking at commercial opportunities for virtual selves and virtual identities. How How is the market responding to that from, from, a, from a brand perspective? Because I, 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 I don't know that we have data points or, or conversations to actually talk about customers, fans, individuals, but how's the, how's the market actually reacting to this? Yeah, I think it's still very much in its embryonic stages, right? You do have virtual characters that will have real world deals, right? With, with, you know, and there's some a couple of it's two or three agencies that specialize in these, these, um, these virtual characters, AI characters, um, well, they're not AI, they're virtual characters, right? That, uh, um, now I don't think yet we've created the first AI celebrity yet. I don't think so. One that thinks and evolves yet. And No, there's always curation yeah, not behind one. it. So there isn't that's, anything that's end-to-end -end yeah, synthetic. That will be not yet. interesting from a commercial perspective, certainly the first and the, the original, right? Um, now, outside of that, you see some interesting things like, of course, sadly, what's happened with Bruce Willis and... Um, is in, he's not able obviously to act anymore, but he's given permission to use um, 
uh, AI or certainly enhanced versions of himself within film, which I think is interesting, right? And they've done that with people that have passed away, like um, Carrie Fisher in Star Wars, and and the public haven't. I think when it's moments like that where they see that that you know they see that what other choice did they have but to do that, then I think the public are very accepting of that. And also connected, importantly connected to something that the public have an emotional connection to already. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't see many sort of, I didn't see much of a backlash around that. But we're talking about a younger generation, certainly the younger generation is much more open to innovation in this sector. So I think you will see some interesting things that happen over a period of time. You know, if we can, if there can be fan bases for Mickey Mouse and, you know, Woody from Toy Story, then why can't there be fan bases and, you know, and, and commercial deals for, for AI characters, right? And, and then, you know, so I don't, I don't see why that's an issue and why the public wouldn't buy into it. At the moment, as always, it has to be, there's to be a great narrative, a connection, an authenticity, um, uh, an emotional attachment to it. Um, so, yeah. I watch this place. <laughs> Simon, if you're taking if you're taking Woody as a perfect example, so the Pixar character Woody that people love, right? The way he speaks and engages something curated by a brilliant team, and you know we all have an understanding of Woody's character that's been carefully cultivated by all the the Toy Story movies he's been in. If there's then an algorithm behind Woody that takes those character traits and and makes makes you know, a conversation to be had or kind of almost an autonomous way in which personality has evolved with Woody's traits, does that still make him just an animated character that's a licensable piece of IP or does that make him more of a synthetic character? Yeah, I think it becomes very hard for him to go beyond that character, right? Because it's still, people still see that as Tom Hanks rather than Woody, right? So Tom Hanks evolves into other things, but can Woody, I agree, can Woody evolve into anything but that that highly curated version of himself you know i don't um, i don't think people see him as tom hanks i remember when i took my my my, <laughs> my kids to see frozen here at the theater in L- la josh gad who does the voice of the snowman was there and people could care less the kids were all going to the woman who was dressed as you know one of the princesses who had no involvement in the movie yeah. like <laughs> didn't matter if they if there had been somebody dressed up as the 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 snowman, they would have gone to him instead of you know. But I, I mean, I I do think these are I think those are already effectively virtual characters, and those are also computer animated, so it's really no different. I mean, they're manipulatable as um, you know polygons in a space where they're able to move in different movements. So I, you know, I think it's it's just a matter of you know kind of photorealistic fidelity that's really the dividing line. And those people, those people, those characters have personalities, and they market things all the time. I mean. They're stamped on everything, um, and they're marketing things all the time. So I, I, I think, in, in, in many ways, we're, you know, we're already we're already living in that world. I mean, there's 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 another fascinating topic. I'm, I think, sadly, we're going to run out of time, uh, you know, to kind of discuss this properly. But you know, where does digital likeness extend to? So you know, if a picture of celebrity of a celebrity is put into mid mid journey, as an example, and that likeness is stretched to something which is just barely recognizable as them, is that still their digital likeness? And I think this is, I appreciate this is opening up a complete can of worms in regards to, you know, rights ownership and stuff. But, you know, these, yeah. this all stuff is kind of here. Um, and it's just really interesting debate about 
where does digital likeness extend to and you know what are the kind of ramifications around misrepresentation of digital likeness because anyone now in reality can become an infinite number of character types in different scenarios and that's a tremendous opportunity but it also presents you know a huge amount of risk if you're not kind of managing that right i can only assume with just a huge number of different platforms that make changing that character or evolving that character as a real life individual so easy and so scalable hmm. well i think i think the answer to that is very simply the blockchain which everybody really understands already so you know we can just <laughs> quietly move on from there but you are right we're, we're we're running out of time and i'm uh conscious that uh we uh, a few of you guys have to jump off so before we go i'm going to ask you about your favorite sports moment of q1 of 2023 what has been your favorite sporting moment of q1 and um i have i have a suspicion that somebody's is going to involve <laughs> arsenal just because we were asked not to go there earlier um but we'll just i'll, I'll just let, let let that one hang there who wants to go first well seeing as you've introduced the arsenal element yanni um <laughs> i um i am uh, enjoying the arsenal journey uh, as I'm sure you are, uh, you're a young team um, that uh, has found its groove. Um, Brilliant. And may or may not um, win at the end of the season, but it's certainly been fun. And I was at the game uh, against Bournemouth, um, which was at home, which is a game most people expected Arsenal to win anyway, but somehow found that they were 2-0 down in the second half. And I took my young children to it and... Um, it's my job as a father to brainwash them. So if I, if they do not support, I, I have failed as a father. Absolutely. I, I, I can't, I can't stress that enough. So uh, they were there when we scored in the 96th minute. Uh, and and we'll say it was probably one minute too long. Um, and <laughs> the sheer agility. Blow whistle, ref. Yeah, blow your whistle. There's very few moments where men uh, sort of um, cuddle each other and lose all sense of limb and life and, and uh, the sense of joy and sport still still has as a way of doing that that i don't care how you can create you can create as many artificial um moments as possible but sport can create incredible narratives incredible storylines and, and that was that was one of them you know and i'm waiting for the disappointing i'm waiting for the disappointment to come as well which is normal part of sport but. it's all part of the journey right me speaking last simon or uh as a Spurs fan, <laughs> I segued nicely to your. You know, no, I'm joking. But, um, uh, yes, that was mine. And what's 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 been yours? Favorite moment of Q1? Well, clearly, I can't say anything about Spurs. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I tell you what, I I think has been really invigorating, particularly in football, is is what Ryan Reynolds has done with Wrexham. You know, there's mm. incredible stuff there, and it's like. Um, you know, just watching them almost kind of beat Sheffield United and the excitement that generated and the way he's kind of brought that just really interesting, compelling, creative content into into football. It's almost like you, you couldn't have imagined a guy like that, even with his charisma, going into whatever league that Wrexham are in and just kind of doing an incredible job with just actually putting them... On, on, on top of everyone's agenda. And I just think that's that's awesome. And it's kind of like a, a microcosm of what F1 did with Drive to Survive. But it's just a, I just think it's a really interesting thing 
um, for football. And, you know, I, I just think it's quite cool, personally. Awesome. Daniel, what you got yeah. for us? As the American on this call, I'll, I'll say March Madness and particularly the Farley Dickinson upset over Purdue, which I think mathematically, statistically was the greatest upset probably in any game in the history of college basketball. Um, I think the second shortest team in the history of college basketball uh, and a commuter school that I certainly never heard of uh, <laughs> that uh, incredible upset. And it drives on this really bizarre statistic I've heard, which is that the odds of successfully picking a bracket, uh, you know, exactly right for, for the uh, March Madness basketball tournament is about the same as, or even I think less than the odds of finding a specific grain of sand in the world. So it's, it's really, uh, it's basically impossible to do, but, and obviously upsets like that don't make it any easier, but, uh, but just, just pretty remarkable and a lot of fun. And just a reminder of, of what a fun kind of festive time of year this is for American sports fans, at least. It's a, it's, it's a great institution. I have some Boilermakers in my life who, who were not happy with that outcome and they let it be known. <laughs> Anyhow, very, very... What would be the comparison, just quickly, on uh, if you were comparing an FA Cup game, would it, be, would it be a sort of, you know, Man City losing against, what, Wrexham? Or would it, what, what would be the comparison? It, no, it'd be, it'd be, a, it'd be a, a, non-league, a non-league team coming in and beating a Premier League team. Not, not like a, yeah. not Man City, but it'd be a, definitely a non-league team beating, beating a, a Premier yeah. League team. They assume it's going to happen. Spurs going to be involved. That's for sure. That's what I <laughs> Are they going to be the non-league team or the Premier League team? Probably both. I mean, it depends how long it takes, to be honest. But one or the other. It'd definitely be one or two. I mean, that's the optimism that I have as a Spurs fan at the moment. So, yeah. But thank you, guys. It's been really great. Really appreciate all your time. It's been great to have yeah. chat. Thank you. Really good. As as I knew with this with this group, um, thank you very much to all of you for joining and for uh, having a chat. Again, for the listeners, if you like what you hear, make sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Go to our website, sportsloft.co, to sign up for our newsletter where you get to hear from people like this on a regular basis. And also follow us on socials at Sportsloft HQ. So I'll say a big thank you to everyone for joining. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for being back on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And thanks again for joining. We look forward to the next one. That's a pleasure. And Simon, thank you. And thank you for bringing the Olympic rings into it as well. <laughs> thank you very much. Next time, can we do a sports history podcast? It would be amazing. Perfect. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's booked in for the next one in two, uh, <laughs> in two weeks. Ant is vigorously shaking his head. Uh, so thank you very much to our guests. And thank you for joining us in the Sports Loft. We'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.